0: Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast. My name's Steph, and today I am here with Alan and Melissa Matheson. And they have been married for 57 and a half years. Not 58 yet, but 57 and a half. Melissa pointed that out. And we're going to talk to them a little bit about their relationship. So, to start, how did you guys meet?
1: I returned from the military, went to the University of Utah to pick up my mother, and Millicent was working there with my mother in the same office. And she was this beautiful girl with wonderful red hair. And my mother noticed that we were observing each other and said we ought to be acquainted. And so she became the, what? Matchmaker? Yeah. She introduced us and encouraged us to be together.
2: I feel that I was very fortunate when I first of all started at the University of Utah. I needed a job to see me through, and so I had gone to work in the Extension Division, and there was Alan's mother, and we became good friends, and one day at lunch, she said to me, I think you need to meet my son, and when he gets back from the military, I want to introduce you, and so she did that, and from then on, I was... I was smitten. <laughs> I love it. And it's always good to get in with the mom. <laughs> oh,
1: not a bad start. Yeah.
2: And where were you
0: serving in the military, Alan? Where? Yeah. I was
1: serving in Germany during the Korean
0: War. So during the Korean War. Okay. And so that's how you guys met. And I bet your mother was really happy that you were taking her advice. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was. She was. She was always very supportive of Millicent and of me.
0: So you guys met. So tell me a little bit about your courtship. Do you have any favorite memories from that time when you were dating?
1: We certainly do. There was one impediment to our courtship, and that was she was wearing another ring.
0: Oh, the plot thickens. So that's
1: an impediment, as I say. And uh, while she was wearing that, the romance did not continue very well.
2: Yeah. Well, and... I, by that time, the individual I was engaged to was away also, and it was just not working out. It was a long-distance relationship. I was too young to have been engaged, and so as Alan came into my life, I felt like this is something I need to explore. And so I returned the ring and ended that relationship. And I set my sights on trying to get to know Alan better.
0: I love that because as you're talking about long distance, I'm like, this is seriously long distance because you didn't have texting. You didn't have email. You had letters to go over to
2: Europe. It took a while. But Alan and I, once we met... We did not date regularly, but we did have a few dates, and it was, Alan was getting, at this point, he was moving on to get his master's degree, and I was getting my undergraduate degree, and he was then going on to law school. And so, we weren't in a a strong relationship at that point, but... Enough that I knew this was somebody I really wanted wanted to get to know better.
0: Yeah. So, so you guys were both undergrads. You were getting your law degree. Yes.
2: And like, I was undergraduate. He was oh, graduate.
0: And what were you getting your degree in?
2: Education. Oh, education. Elementary education.
0: And I liked what you said there—that you guys were just getting to know each other. It was just a time. That's true. But
2: the plot now changes a Ooh, little let's as. Hear it we get toward the end of my undergraduate, so that would be four years.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Alan with his master's degree and three years of law school, that was his four years. And so we're getting to the end of that, and I'm wondering what's really going to happen. We've kind of dated off and on during these four years. And so I applied for teaching positions in Salt Lake, San Francisco, and New York. Ooh. Now, Alan, in the meantime, what happened to you? I accepted
1: a position to be an associate-in-law at Columbia Law School, Columbia University in New York, and so that was the plan.
2: And so I had these three applications out. And when I got accepted in all three places, I said to Alan one day, I don't know what to do. I have a chance to go to San Francisco, New York, or stay here in Salt Lake. His response was, it would be wonderful to have you in New York. So guess which application I <laughs> accept. New York? And I went to New York. Oh, so you guys were both living in New York? Was it magical being in the city?
1: It was. Well, it was for me. I was in the city. Uh-huh. She was on Long Island oh, teaching okay. there. And it was magical. The first year of our time there was in, in this city with everything. Attractions, entertainment, cultural events. So we met every Saturday. She came in on a train. It was reverse commute there. She came in on a train. I met her. And then we had dinner and went out and saw movies and plays and just had a wonderful time.
2: Opera just had a wonderful oh, I time. Love it. And then he would always put me on the last train out on Saturday night to get back to Long Island. And what I did was I baked him some kind of a goodie every week, and I would find an empty locker at the train station, give him the key, so that after our date he could go and have something special for me at the end of the night. Okay, this is seriously like the cutest love story. I'm (laughs) loving this. So, so Ellen, what were some of your
0: favorite treats that she made oh, for you? Oh, good heavens.
1: She made rolls. She made cakes. She made everything, cookies, <laughs> and they were wonderful. They were terrific.
0: I need to start trying this. This is maybe like the whole week <laughs> in my dating life, make a guy a treat after the
2: day. <laughs> so, anyway, that was how our courtship really developed. And so we had these wonderful dates every weekend in New York City. And then at the end of that year, Alan did propose.
1: So there's uh, something in, in, before that. And that was on your birthday, I invited her to go to, with me to Music Man, the musical.
0: Ooh. Which
1: is wonderful. You
0: got trouble. We've got it yeah, <laughs> right here in <laughs> River City. Yeah. yeah.
1: And between acts, I reached over and told her I loved her. And that was moving us ahead in our (laughs) relationship
2: that was magic and it was at the time that they were playing till there was you oh our song so that became our song and that was on my birthday in march and then the proposal came in may and we were married then in august and came back to salt lake For the marriage, and then we went back to New York and had our first year of marriage in New York, and it was wonderful. We lived right in the city, and I continued to teach on Long Island, so I'd go back out to Long Island. But we just had a wonderful, wonderful first year of marriage.
1: We certainly did. We decided to live on my salary, and it was a magnificent sum of $4,500 for the year. And we lived in a subsidized uh, apartment owned by Columbia, uh-huh. just a block from the law school. And we had a budget for food, and it was, was it $1 per person per day, uh-huh. and we made it. And so, we didn't have the same opportunities for expensive dates, so we did a lot of what window shopping, people watching. That kind of thing.
2: Well, that's a great place to watch. Yes. And we loved walking up and down the streets of New York, watching people and just observing how they were living and what was happening in their lives. So, And at the end of that year, and during that year, and I think this is significant in terms of our relationship, because both of our mothers were going through very difficult times. Alan's mother was a widow. She had found just before we were married in August, she found that she had cancer and thought she was doing well. And then in February, uh, after we were married, found that it had returned and that it was not going well for her. In the meantime, my mother Was divorced and so both of our mothers were in a situation where they needed a lot of support. We were in New York, they were in Salt Lake and so Alan and I had to depend on each other to give support to each other as we were trying to support our mothers from afar. At the end of that year Alan's mother was bedridden with her cancer. And so we came home in June, which would have been just prior to our first anniversary, moved in with her to take care of her. And we cared for her through that summer. And then in August, just a few days after our first anniversary, she passed away. And so that was a time when we found that through the struggles of our mothers, we had to be strong and we had to depend on one another. And that, I think, strengthened our marriage. I think it was an important time in our lives, as difficult as it was. But I have always been grateful that we have been able to do that for Alan's mother and for my mother as well.
1: During that time Millicent was pregnant with our first child, with Alan and we decided to tell her it was early on but we decided to tell her because we knew she was probably leaving we said but you can't tell anybody it's it's secret, it's just for you (laughs) we went back to the hospital room the next day and all the nurses and doctors came in and said, congratulations on your new child.
2: <laughs> she couldn't
1: She couldn't wait.
2: <laughs> but that made her happy, and that was important. Oh, yeah. And,
0: and just hearing you talk, I mean, to have your first year of marriage, you guys deal with these big life challenges of your parents, like your mom's needing the support, and then also being married on top of it, like you were saying, I can see how that could be a really bonding time together.
1: I left New York with an offer to teach at the University of Iowa Law School so that we were in Salt Lake, but expected to leave then, whatever the condition of my mother and, and uh, Millicent's mother, and move to Iowa City, Iowa. But life changed.
2: And this is one of the things that I feel so strongly about that throughout our lives, we have had interventions that have been very important and that have led us in different directions, but very important directions. And so, at this point, as we're about thinking that we need to leave and go to Iowa, along comes a very important intervention.
1: An offer to be the assistant to the president at Utah State University. Yeah, I'm an Aggie. Are you an Aggie?
0: Yeah. And we
1: went and uh, looked over the situation. And as difficult as it was to say no to Iowa, we just loved the situation north of here mm-hmm. and accepted that invitation. And that changed the direction of our lives considerably. So in the meantime, my mother had passed away. And we hurried to Logan, bought a home. (laughs) I started uh, working at the university, and uh, we established ourselves. They were there for the next six years.
2: And that's where our first two children were born, Alan Jr. in January. And then two years later in January, along came David. And then... uh, as Allen Jr., was about five years old, another opportunity came that was rather unexpected.
1: It certainly was. And I had taken classes from Homer Durham, who had been a professor of political science and then was the academic vice president of the University of Utah. And he had been appointed the president of Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. And he called and said, Alan, <clears throat> we're establishing a new law school at Arizona State. I think you might be interested in it. Would you like to come and be interviewed by the dean to see if there is any possibility there for you? It was out of the blue. It was terribly unexpected. But I said, yes, I'd like to find out about it. So I hopped on the plane, leaving Millicent and the boys in, in Logan.
2: It was actually on the 24th of July. Oh, Pioneer. And we went, the boys and I went to the parade. Alan went off to Arizona.
1: Yes, and so I was interviewed by the dean of the law school and the law faculty and by the president of the university and others. And I had an offer immediately.
0: Hey, that's and exciting.
1: we had, <laughs> so I gave Ellison a call and said, Would you consider pulling up stakes in Utah and moving to Arizona? You've never been there.
0: It's warmer than Logan. (laughs) It (laughs) certainly is.
1: And she said, let's do it. Very supportive. And so we did. And that was a major change. Major change. Just wanted to say with respect to Logan, we met some of the greatest people ever and had a circle of friends that was marvelous. Mostly university people. Mm -hmm. But we met with them regularly, had wonderful social activities with them, and made lifelong friends. Lifelong friends. We had to put the house up for sale at a bad time in the middle of the winter. By the way, the president of the university said, you may go, but I need you for the next semester. You'll have to wait a semester before you can leave.
0: So this was July? This was July. And
1: this was so he said you can leave in December, which was... In a sense, unfair, I thought, but Mm -hmm. I gave him the next six months. And on the 18th of December, having sold our home, packed and sent the mover back. We drove out of our driveway in Logan. It was 18, low zero.
0: I know. I'm like, that's the worst time to move. move The
1: the neighborhood children were ice skating on the ice. (laughs) And we went in the car and drove to Arizona, a brand new place we'd never been before and with this opportunity to be there for the founding
2: of the school. Which was a wonderful opportunity, but when we arrived in Arizona, we didn't have our home ready to move into, and so we moved into a little apartment with our two young sons. And it was days before Christmas, We had packed all of their Christmas in one box with the hope that the moving van would get there and that nothing would be lost. We went out to find a Christmas tree, and we discovered that they just had one or two Christmas tree lots, and they had all been pretty much depleted. The only thing left was a rather bedraggled-looking Christmas tree. But we took that one and took it back to our little apartment. The truck was slow and coming, so we didn't have any dishes. We didn't have anything, any pots or pans or anything. They were all in the van. And so we'd sit around on the floor and have eat what we could out of cans (laughs) (laughs) that I could heat up. Easily and anyway, it was a fun time. And the day that the Chris the van arrived, it was just a day or two before Christmas. They walked in, looked at the tree, and said, "Oh, that one looks like the one that fell off the truck." <laughs> and uh, we unpacked our belongings, had Christmas, and on Christmas Day, without any family around. We went over to a, a nearby park and hiked, and that was Christmas at 75 degrees. You just came from negative 20 degrees, right? right? So you're just <laughs> like, what is yeah. this? That's right.
1: And I started at the law school right away, and I was assigned teaching assignments in the, for the spring semester. And the uh, challenge of, sta- of establishing a new law school is a big one. And I was participant with a small faculty in making major decisions on how we would do the grading and uh, the course lineup and so on. It was a wonderful time, a wonderful time. And the people in the, the law faculty, many of them were established teachers. The dean had been successful in recruiting them from across the country. And they were excellent teachers and they were very supportive of me. And I started to teach in the classroom and found it as a lifelong treasure. I think people who find their employment is something they really love, have great advantages over others. And I wanted to be in the classroom. (laughs) I had administrative assignments, but I really wanted to be in the classroom.
2: And he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher, loved by everyone. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) But he was also a beloved uh, administrator. And as it turned out, on five different occasions, he was dean of that law school at Arizona State University. In his own term and then as uh, an interim dean when others weren't available or when they hadn't appointed a new one. So he has he gave years and years and years to Arizona State University, and it wasn't until we moved back to Utah just three years ago that he left the classroom and left behind that profession.
1: They had to drag me out.
2: Yeah, I'm like, is that hard for you to <laughs> not be teaching? It
1: was, it was, but it was time.
0: Yeah. It was time. But hearing you talk about that, I mean, like, what an exciting opportunity is this brand new law school and how you said that you guys are figuring out the grading and you're figuring out the curriculum and then to be able to be in the classroom with these students that are going to be lawyers that are going That's right. Yeah. They were
1: kind of pioneers in a sense, too, because when I was there, it was for the first year of the law school, and they—the law school had not been accredited, oh, no, didn't really. have any history. I mean, so these people took the chance and came. We were accredited before they graduated, so they hadn't lost anything. But it was a chance for them, and it was a good, good experience.
0: Well, and you guys probably have so many friends all over the country of just all these connections you've made. Well.
1: I had a lot of opportunities to deal with professors and law, and uh, deans from other areas, and also to become acquainted with the legal profession in Phoenix and in Arizona. made a lot of friends there and served on committees with them, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience.
2: And I, too, taught uh, in Arizona. I taught in New York for a couple of years, and then we had our wonderful three sons, and I have to just say that our daughters are just as important to us as our sons we love them they they are true daughters in every way and this is so meaningful to us to have three wonderful daughters along with our three wonderful sons 12 grandchildren three of whom are married which means we now have fifteen grandchildren because those are just as important to us i too taught and went back to school when our sons were reaching college age and we decided that we wanted to help them with their education so that they could concentrate on their learning but at the same time They were very industrious, and they always earned lots of money or as much as they possibly could to help with their education as well. But those three sons and their families just make such a difference in our lives.
1: They do, but let me tell you a little bit about Nelson and teaching.
2: Yeah, I want to hear more.
1: When the boys reached college age, we encouraged them to apply wherever they wanted to and we would try and see if we could manage that. And they did. They they took it took us at our word. <laughs> and so when Alan said he would like to go to Stanford University as an undergraduate, it <laughs> it brought this uh claim that we had made to the fore. And Millicent then applied for a teaching job that day. And oh. she worked and her checks went to Stanford indeed she said I'm working for Stanford University and she she taught during the years the freshman years and beyond for the for the three sons
2: and and what grade did you teach I taught first grade until the very end of my teaching career. They asked me to do what they called looping. And so, what I would do is keep my students for two years. So, I'd take them through first and second grade. And then I'd go back and get a new batch of students. And I did that for a couple of times. And then Finally decided that the time had come that I was ready to move on to something else. But we...
1: May I say, she had the reputation of being an outstanding teacher. Formed friendships with the parents of the students and with the students. And since she has taught, we have had a wide variety of graduation (laughs) requests, of wedding invitations, of birth announcements including in the last uh, Christmas we had contacts with former students of hers. She made a deep impression on
0: it. I love it. And, And here you guys talk both about being, I mean, you both are big educators. So is that, like your sons, was that a big passion of theirs as well, seeing you guys and your love for learning?
2: We have heard them say that they didn't ever think there was anything else other than going on beyond high school and getting degrees. And we've mentioned Alan and David. We did have, do have a third son. And there are some aspects of his birth that I'd like to mention, too. But firstly, these three sons have all gone to professional schools, two lawyers and one a doctor. Ooh. And they have moved on with their lives, they have very rich, full lives, and have contributed greatly to the communities in which they live. And so we, yes, we felt that education was important, and they said they didn't ever think that they had a choice.
0: Other than to go on. <laughs> two lawyers and one doctor. I mean, I, I didn't know their profession, so I'm just, like, asking, like, oh, did education make an impact? And then hearing that, I'm like, well, obviously. <laughs> the
1: uh, the third son was a few years after the two older ones. <laughs> and because I was in law and the two older ones were in law school over some time, we'd sit around the kitchen table talking about law issues <laughs> and enjoying it. But the little one, was not a part of that, and he finally pounded on the table and said, I will never go to law school. I am so tired of hearing you talk about law. Never, never will I go.
2: And interestingly, his oldest son now is preparing to think of going to medical school. So his profession has carried on as well and our other sons with their law degrees have children who are thinking in those terms and so it's kind of interesting what happens in families but we have been a religious family as well and we've been very active in our church assignments and We have found that that is a a very important aspect of our lives. Alan had the opportunity and was called to be a, a bishop over the young single adult ward in the Arizona University stake. And that was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. We had about 350 young people But it was wonderful, and it was that in addition to many other church callings that have really enriched our lives. And those young people we stay in close touch with. As a matter of fact, one of them is being married tonight, and uh, so we do keep in touch with them. Yes, I wanted
1: to enlarge upon that a little bit about Millicent, because she was teaching full time. I was the dean of the law school, so she had the assignment of preparing for social activities for the law faculty and students, and there were many, and they were heavy. And in addition to that, she was the president of the relief society all at once, and it was a it was a very busy time for her. But she pulled it off beautifully.
2: Well, thank you, Alan. No that that's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> I started to talk about John. We had hoped for other children and had had a little difficulty bringing another child into the world and so we had our two wonderful sons, and then found that I was pregnant and we were thrilled, absolutely thrilled and This was at a time before they did a lot in terms of male-female letting us know what was going to happen and also before a lot of testing was done and for some reason i kept feeling that there was something that just wasn't quite right in that pregnancy and i kept talking to the doctor about it and i kept saying to the doctor I just feel that something is wrong. And he kept saying, no, I think everything's fine. Everything's fine. But there was still a voice telling me that it wasn't all right. And so when time came for his birth, I received a very special blessing. And I just went into that delivery room, thinking, we'll wait and see what happens. And as he was delivered and seemed to be fine as far as I knew, and he was alive, and that was what was important at that point, they took me back to my, they showed me the baby, but took the baby immediately away, and this was our little John. And Alan didn't come to my room and didn't come to the room, and I kept asking the nurses, where's my husband? And they said, well, we'll try and find him. What I didn't know was that John had been born with spina bifida. And for those who know what spina bifida is, that can be a very devastating experience. And Alan was consulting with the doctors, and I didn't know that. No one was telling me because they wanted to see what was going to happen. And finally he came, and it was a good hour or so after the birth, when he came in with the doctors and they shared with me that this was the situation. They didn't know what was going to happen, whether he would ever be able to walk, whether he would ever have control of any of his body functions. And this little six-pound, precious little boy, and they had decided that they needed to transfer him from the hospital where he was born over to Barrow Neurological, which is one of the finest neurological hospitals. And so they brought him in, and the first time I really, really saw him, he was in this little incubator ready to be transferred. And I reached out and they said, you can't touch him. He's too fragile. And so I saw this little babe, sent away. Alan accompanied him and I then the next day went home and uh, John underwent then a four or five hour surgical process and we were blessed because he was born in uh, December and on christmas eve of that year we went down to the hospital again to see him and for the first time took david and Alan with us so they could see their little brother through the window and they looked at him and the doctors came and said would you like to take him home tonight Aww. that became our christmas gift that year and it was a a very very special christmas to have him there we didn't know for a long time what would happen but he he became the doctor and he became a doctor in part because he wanted to give back what he had been given and as weeks and months and even years went on we could see that he was going to be well and whole. But we were told take him home loving because we've done everything we can for him. He has less than a one percent chance of being normal. Less than one percent. And he is a wonderful tall, six feet five young man
1: today i think he should have gone into law but he didn't
2: <laughs> <laughs> now you have to have some diversity
0: in that's the family. true that's yeah. true so he said that he wanted to be a doctor to give back what he had so in talking about your guys' family like what were some of your favorite i mean you talked about christmas eve your two christmas getting the all your stuff the when you first moved to arizona and then this christmas miracle but what were some of your fun traditions that you had together fun memories as a family
1: not sure it's a tradition, but a highlight in our, in our, uh, experience. Uh, I was offered the opportunity to teach at a British university oh. and on a sabbatical leave and the boys were small and we agreed to go to the University of Southampton and we packed the three there and took them over and put them into British schools. And Ellen was twelve, and in a British school with sixteen major subjects, and uh, David in in one as well. And John was only four, so we put him in a
2: just a couple of days yeah. a week into yeah. a little preschool preschool so that he could have some friends. But
1: we we were a family in a, in another country. The boys made friends and all, but we had to rely upon each other, and they had some challenges that we tried to help them with. And as a product of being there, we traveled a lot. We took them around in Wales and Scotland. And down and then we we put them on a plane and went to Norway, down through Denmark, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, and wonderful experiences and then we came back on the day that school started we had done this Uh in the summer and so they went to bed that night and were in school the next day but it was it was an educational and it was a uh, a very family unity experience it was wonderful
2: our boys to this day talk about the family trips we took, because we tried to take a lot of family trips, not only in Europe, but certainly around the United States and places we went, and they, they talk about those family trips that we would take and plan every year as something very, very special for them. And speaking of travel, Alan and I have had opportunities for travel. We have... Alan spent six weeks in Egypt, a special...
1: American education.
2: And he would, during the day, as I understand it, you'd study places in Egypt, and then they would take a a tour out to the places they were studying. And one of the most diverse or different meals that you were served were pigeons maybe uh-huh.
1: pigeons their feathers on oh
2: with their feathers on oh <laughs> <laughs> but we have traveled to what was then the Soviet Union and so it was at a time when it was under communist rule and that was very interesting yeah, so did they normally let people travel into the Soviet Union? Oh, yes. Thought, okay. Yes, they had okay. tours.
1: Observed they them very closely.
0: Very yeah, that's closely. what I was wondering. Yeah, I was wondering so.
1: And this was part of, uh, I was asked to lead a tour with of attorneys going interested in, in going to the Soviet Union. We went twice. And then uh, the third time we went to China. And oh, cool.
0: uh,
1: I had to try and learn something about Russian law and Chinese law. To give lectures to these people as they went from the Great Wall to some other place,
2: so you studied up on... No. so we've had great. some interesting experiences in our years together.
1: We have been close to our families and have had family reunions where we brought the boys to meet with their cousins and aunts and uncles. Family has been a major part
0: of our life. did you both of your family stay here in Salt Lake, or have they just they not-
1: did? We yeah. were we were the pioneers. We were
0: kind
1: of alone in Arizona without without any uh, relatives. In
2: terms of our extended family, but now in terms of our children, we have Alan Jr., who is here in Salt Lake. We have David, who is in Oregon, and John, who is in Washington. So they stayed in the West, but nevertheless. They aren't all right here, so we like to travel and see them as well and get together with them as frequently as we can. And we do have regular family reunions with our immediate family as well as extended family.
1: One experience I might mention, which is not necessarily related to this, but when I was a bishop, there were young people who, when they were considering getting married, would come for advice. And We found that uh, sometimes they wanted to come together and there were opportunities for classes already offered, but we thought there was value in having one couple at one time. And so we were asked by a bishop to, to prepare a wedding class, of course, to prepare the materials and teach over some time, which we did. And then when I was released as bishop, we decided that to offer
2: Not when you were released, but well, but while you were bishop, excuse me for interrupting. No, what... But while you were bishop when that first couple came that was engaged, we felt like we needed to give them
1: some some helpful some... instruction. Mm-hmm. And we were not professionals. Yeah. By any means, but Melissa largely prepared some wonderful materials that were relevant. She served with the family services and they had some materials and others. We put them together and then we offered any couple who told us that they were engaged this opportunity to come and have four sessions and with special areas of marriage to cover. Communication and
2: Well, the first one was on partnership and commitment in marriage. And the second session was on communication. The third was on intimacy in marriage, where we talked about physical, spiritual, and emotional intimacy. And the last one was where we talked about keeping your love alive over the years and the more practical aspects of marriage. And so we would meet with these couples one at a time, just with each couple alone in our home, and sit and talk to them about these aspects of marriage that we felt were important.
1: As it turned out, we gave that instruction to about 70 couples. Mm -hmm. And we had some wonderful feedback. Uh, As I say, we were not professionals, but we tried Mm -hmm. to add some personal observations and focus on what we thought were very critical areas for a young couple.
0: And so that was actually my one of my last questions to ask you is your advice to newlyweds, and apparently you guys have a lot of advice. <laughs> I love it. So what what are some of the things that you would, you talked about the four the four things like the four different? Well, we talked
1: about partnership in marriage and how important it is for a couple to share to share their plans for the future, to share their financial situation, not to hide something from each other and not to go into diverse ways, but to be one union. That was important. Communication. Some couples are very poor at communication. And there are things that can be learned that is helpful to open up and to share personal feelings which is difficult for some people to do. The intimacy, that is a, a subject that young people don't want to talk about or are a little afraid. Mm-hmm. They want mm-hmm. to, but they're afraid to admit that they do, and that was very helpful. And then we had materials and and uh, uh collections of articles and the rest on how to keep your love alive. When you're married, you don't give up dating,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sharing things together. Planning together, and so these were the areas. But we had special. We found out from the couples, each couple, an area that was of interest and concern to them. And we we found that some have said afterwards, we had this big thick book. Oh, if we have any problem, we go to the Matheson book.
0: Do you still have the Matheson book? I might need one we when do.
1: I do. <laughs> we do, and we provided it for our for our grandchildren and the rest. It's not that we saved marriages, but we added something different from sitting in a class with 50 people talking about things without having a chance. And to gain their trust so they could open up and feel able to ask rather intimate questions. And some were (laughs) surprisingly (laughs) intimate.
2: But But that was good. That was important. As we talked about the
1: need to share and to, to work toward being one, the union of it. We had one couple we gave them the first lesson, and they came in and, and uh, said, We don't think we can continue plans for marriage because we're not sharing. So, we didn't want to destroy marriage, but yeah. maybe that was helpful.
2: Well, and later they each married someone else, a different individual, and they're very happy now. But there were several that brought problems with them and concerns, and they could really talk about them and feel that. They knew we were not going to reveal that we would be keeping confidence whenever they talked about. We were not judging,
1: and we did keep everything confidential.
2: And we had, with each of these, we had several articles from professionals that they would then, on these subjects, read in between our sessions so that they went away with it large notebook then as we left our stake in arizona they asked for copy of all of this and they are carrying that on in our stake down there
0: so you had talked about you know that when you get married you need to continue dating so you guys have been married for almost 58 years so how do you guys keep dating how do you keep your love alive
1: we uh like to go out for dinner we like to go to a movie occasionally.
2: We go to the symphony.
1: go to the symphony. We go to the Hell Theater.
2: Have you been to the new Hell Theater? Yes. Okay, yes. that is amazing. I just went and saw Aida. Holy cow. Yes. That's so good. It was wonderful. We do something, and I have to admit that we probably don't do something every single Friday, <laughs> but we do something throughout the week. Yeah. And we do. We have a good time together we have a wonderful time together. We're good friends. And I think that's one of the things that is important. We have a a son, John and his wife, Angie, who always say, I married my best friend. Well, I think that's important. And we see that with each of our sons, that they feel that way about their spouse. And so as we said earlier on, our family is really the most important thing and we see in them the traditions the they're following through because their families are happy families and that is the greatest reward we can have
0: i i failed to mention at the beginning that you guys were nominated by this for this podcast by your
2: daughter-in-law, Laura Matheson.
0: Well,
1: we love Laura, and she is very special. She is.
2: She's Alan has recently had a a knee replacement, and he's recovering from that. And Laura has, because she's our daughter here in Salt Lake, she has been really taking good care and making sure that we're both taken care of, as have Alan and our other sons and their families have contacted us continually to check on things. And so we're a close family. And that means the world to us. It truly does. We love our family very, very much. Indeed.
0: You can tell the love that you guys have for your families, the love that you have for each other, and then for your professions. And so thanks for being that example. That with some some work on some things like communication and keeping the love alive and really being each other's best friend that that, that is possible. So guys, remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guest or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams
2: are coming true.